Well, the last couple of weeks, we have been talking all about stewardship. And I want to tell you, I finished the, this series on stewardship. But it was really, really interesting this week as I came to prepare what I felt the Lord had put on my heart. Uh, I'm reminded of a verse that's so familiar with us, uh, or familiar to us, rather. So if you think back to when we're talking about stewardship, one of the, the verses that we kept talking about that is key to stewardship is, depending on what you do with what you have, you will either be given more or what you have is taken from you and you have less. You remember that principle that Jesus taught over and over and over again? So this week, even though I was going in a different direction, I came across this verse, Luke 8, verse 18. Similar verse, uh, Jesus starts by saying, therefore, consider carefully how you listen. That's new. But the next part, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. thought it was fascinating. Lord, we've just been in a verse like this, and here I come, completely different direction, same verse. And all that goes to show is, and I was remiss in mentioning this, but when we talk about stewardship, it's not just finances we're responsible for stewarding. Amen? So I know that my focus over the last couple of weeks has been finances, but the context of this verse nothing to do with money at all. And yet right here, exactly the same principle. So you may be asking good students of the word, what is the context of this verse? The context of this verse is all about revelation. Jesus has just finished teaching the people using the parable of the sower. Remember? He goes out to sow, there's four types of ground, and then afterwards the disciples are like, what, what are you talking about? And he tells them, the, the meaning of the parable, and then right away he says this, therefore consider carefully how you listen. Huh, whoever has will be given more, whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. I think it's fascinating that Jesus is saying how you listen determines what you get. If you listen well, you're actually granted more revelation, more understanding. But if you don't, even what you think you have will be taken from you. Now lean in a little bit. That tells me the thing that you didn't hear was the thing you're convinced you already know. The thing that you didn't hear because you weren't listening well is the thing that you're convinced you already know. I don't need what you're saying. I already know this. And the Lord's like, ooh, even what you think you have be taken from you. Jesus is pointing out to us how pride works in our lives. You see, pride doesn't need to listen. It already knows. Let me illustrate this for you. You've probably seen this online. I love these nerdy things. Remember a couple of years ago, there was the blue dress, gold dress? Remember, you alienated most of your people, you know, in your circle group. Because you're like, oh, it's obviously blue. How, how stupid do you have to be to see that it's gold? And then, you know, people you love are like, actually, I see it's gold. And you're like, oh, God, people I love are stupid, right? And so it's one of those things. But this time, it's illustrating the listening part. So look, the, the audio I have is really, really low. I've asked our team to kind of boost it. It's hard to hear what is, what, what's being said. So I wrote it out for you. Ready? Listen. Let me, let me play that again for you. All right, you see it up on the screen? You got that? All right, that's all right. I'll give, you, I'll give you another shot in a second. Different word. This one's green needle. Listen for green needle. You hear it? Okay, let me play it again for you. All right. 
two different words, but the trick is it's exactly the same recording. And I'm gonna put both words up on the screen. I'm gonna play it again for you. And what you're reading as you hear it is what you will hear. How you listen determines what you hear. No. We got way more pressing things to get to, okay? Just Google Green Needle when you get home, you'll be fine. So, Alan, like, why are you talking about this? Well, I was talking to a friend uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he gave me some rules of Southern living. And he said, never, ever, 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 whatever you do, talk about college football, Jesus, or politics. So I want to break some rules this morning. And I want to talk about college football. <laughs> Can you imagine me trying to talk about, no. Just kidding. What I want to talk about is Jesus and his kingdom. But here's the thing. In talking about Jesus and his kingdom, with the current political system that we have going on, or rather the current political climate that we have going on, there's going to be a real danger that you might hear something I'm not saying in what I am saying. I might see brainstorm and you might hear green needle and it wasn't my fault. So when Jesus says, be careful how you listen, that's a command. But for me this morning, it's a humble request. Be careful how you listen. You know, Jeff alluded to the fact that last year I became an American, which was a lifelong dream, really, really. Since about eight years old, I've longed to be an American. Last year, that came true. Um, we got sworn in just before the pandemic hit, and so I'm super grateful for that. But it also meant, despite having lived in this country, do you realize how quiet it's got? <laughs> despite having lived in this country for 13 years, like when we came, George W. Bush was the president, then Barack Obama, and then President Trump, and, and now here we are. For the first time in 13 years, it meant it was the first time AJ and I could vote. Now, what do you think is the number one question people want to ask me when they hear I got to vote? Where did you get your shirt from? Well, yeah. <laughs> A close second is, who did you vote for? Here's the thing. I don't think I have told anyone who I voted for. And here's why. If I say I voted for President Trump, some of you this morning, you might nod and think, well, amen, of course, clearly God's choice. He's about bringing change. He's godly. He's got a track record of supporting Christians. But some of you here, you might think, how can a Christian leader vote for someone like that? Alan, like, I know who you are. How could you vote for somebody who's repeatedly lied, has a horrible track record with women, minorities, and the poor, and is horribly arrogant? And if I said, well, I voted for Joe Biden, some of you might think, how can a Christian leader vote for someone like that? He's controlled by China. He has got no Christian values. He's for abortion. Yet others of you in this room might think, well, amen. I mean, given your options, he was clearly God's choice. He's a godly Catholic man. He's even-tempered and he's humble. See, whatever I answer to the question, who did you vote for, is inevitably going to lead to me communicating more than I have communicated. Or put another way, you're going to hear a bunch of stuff that I haven't said and what I have said. 
And that's on you, not on me, because you weren't careful in how you listened. So I've said nothing. And in saying nothing, there's danger I've caused division too because people in the church want comfort knowing that their pastor voted for who they voted for. And even in explaining why I've said nothing, people listening could be offended at my reasons. Now, let me be clear this morning. I have no hidden agenda. I have a very, very clear agenda and it's to bring correction. But I want to be very, very clear this morning that I am not bringing correction to Republicans. And I am not bringing correction to Democrats. And I'm not bringing correction to independents. My heart when preparing this message is not to speak to people of a political persuasion, but to people who are submitted to a king from another kingdom. And if you know me, I don't do subtle I don't hint and hope that you get the message. I'll just tell you, your breath stinks. So this morning, there is nothing up my sleeves. What I say is what I mean, and what I mean is what I say, because I today am speaking to followers of Christ, not followers of a political ideology. Let me leave politics just momentarily to talk about something that is so important in helping us make sense of this season. And it's this, that as humans, we love story. We are storytelling creatures. We're built that way. We use story for entertainment. We use story for learning. We use story all the time in our communication. It's why Jesus, when he's here on earth, said nothing to the people without telling them parables. Why? Because Jesus is a master communicator and he knows that we love story. Our leaders of our culture understand this and they use story, like all good communicators, to get their message across. So through our life, all of us experience events or experience things And then we tell stories about them. What do you mean? Well, if I say, Davin, tell me how you met the Lord, Davin would tell me a story about how he gave his life to the Lord. It would include facts and events, but he wouldn't just, you know, text me a Wikipedia article just made up of of bullet points. He would tell a story. If I said to you, how did you meet your spouse? You would tell me a story. Now, make no mistake, when I say story, I am not meaning fiction. I'm simply stating that you and I are experts at using narrative to get information across because we're designed to be story-driven people. Now, because we're so adept at telling and creating stories, it's really important that we take time to step back and see how stories are created. Now, typically what happens, there are events that happen to us or are there facts that we observe And then our story is similar to throwing out a tablecloth over a table and the story links those events, links those facts for us to be able to communicate clearly. That makes sense. So let me use some examples from our recent history in the United States. Let's start with a fact. On Wednesday the 6th of January 2021, people wearing clothing and carrying paraphernalia that reflects support for President Trump broke into the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. 
Now that's a fact. We can discern that it's a fact from numerous sources. We've got lots of corroborating evidence in terms of video, in terms of photographs. It was a scary event. How many of you remember where you were when you found out it was unfolding? I was shocked on a Zoom call with a Twitter page open going, uh, 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 guys, can we adjourn this meeting and maybe pray for a bit? It was a scary event. When scary things happen, the first thing we try and do to bring peace to ourselves is make sense of it. Guess what the easiest way of making sense of something is? To make it into a story or a narrative, so to speak. So here's some facts. What are some of the narratives surrounding this event? Well, here's one. Trump supporters, in an act of domestic terrorism, savagely threatened democracy by attempting a coup because they couldn't handle the fact that Donald Trump lost the election. Now, you've probably heard a narrative like that. You've probably heard a narrative like this one as well. Antifa members, dressed up as Trump supporters, rioted at the Capitol as an act of domestic terrorism to deflect from the truth that the election was stolen from President Trump and to tarnish his supporters. We've got a fact, and then we've got elaborate narrative laid over it that makes use of the facts as the tablecloth gets draped across it. Or how about this one from this coming week? Fact. The inauguration of Joseph R. Biden Jr. has been scheduled for January 20th, 2021 in Washington, D.C. It's an easily verifiable fact. You can look it up from numerous sources and we can establish, yeah, it's established for January 20th, 2021. What about a narrative though? Well, for some, their narrative is tragically a servant of God who has faithfully served this nation is being removed from power and replaced with a China-controlled puppet who secretly worships Satan. Or, after four long years, a racist, misogynistic, narcissistic liar is being removed from power and a godly, even-tempered Catholic man will start the journey of restoring our country to peace and order. Now, to be sure, I have used extreme examples of narrative from both ends of the political spectrum. But here's what's tragic. I haven't made up those narratives. Those are narratives I've heard from people I love tell me or narratives I've witnessed as people have posted on social media. Those aren't fictitious stories that I just made up to provoke a reaction or generate a nervous chuckle. Those are real things that people we know, perhaps you, have chosen to believe. Even softer versions of these narratives easily explain why so often we miss each other. We're looking at the same facts and coming away with completely different narratives. But here's the thing about our narrative. Our stories have to be true to us because they help us make meaning out of chaos. Now, why is that important? It's important because one definition of trauma is when you can't make meaning of the events of your life. Now, please understand, it's not bad to have narratives. Stories are all around us. Narrative is all around us. The Bible is written using narrative in places as a literary style. Narratives are not inherently bad. But there is a danger when we not only need stories, but we need other people to believe our stories or we get scared of who they are 
and what they might think or what they might believe. And when that happens, discord comes in and we start moving away from people in relationship with us. We start unfollowing them on social media and we begin judging the motives of their heart. Now, I believe that much of the discord that's happening today is people trying to deconstruct or poke holes in other people's narratives without taking the time to consider what might be wrong with theirs. And see, here's the thing. When our narratives become about our identity, the way we see our world gets threatened. And when that happens, some real ugly behavior comes out to play. Am I right? Or do I need to switch to a browser and just pull up Facebook in real time and we'll just scroll through? <laughs> I'm serious. But what if instead of spending so much emotional and mental energy into our narratives, we considered a different perspective? You see, in America today, we are so easily offered two perspectives. A right-leaning one that gets crazier and crazier the more you head out that way. And a left-leaning one that equally gets crazier and crazier the more you lean out that way. And of course, there's everything in between. And I often wonder if we as a church have forgotten to look up and consider heaven's perspective. Now, if as soon as I suggest that we don't look left or right for our narrative, but we look up for heaven's perspective, that your first thought is that you're satisfied that you thank you, already have a heavenly perspective. <laughs> Let me first suggest that you run your perspective, your narrative, through the litmus test of Scripture. Let's look at this passage together. James chapter 3. But the wisdom, right, the revelation, the very thing that we need that comes from heaven, here's how you know it's heavenly, is first of all pure then it's peace-loving. It's so considerate. It's submissive. Oh, it's full of mercy. It's got good fruit. It's impartial. And it's sincere. Now, have your conversations, your Facebook posts, your retweets, have your thoughts regarding some of the topics that I raised today that all of you got so very quiet about, have they been marked by an abundance of purity? Is the goal in you posting to promote peace? Are they considered considerate? Are they at the very least submissive? Do people read them and come away with just an overwhelming sense of the mercy of God? Are they producing good fruit in your life? Are they producing good fruit in the lives of your followers? Have they been impartial and sincere? It's not good. It's horrible. Because <laughs> when I sit and I run through that filter, like, ow, I realize some of the things I've said, some of the things I've tweeted, some of the things I've thought fail that litmus test so badly. Now, if your thought is, well, I too have failed, Alan, but not as badly as some of the people I know. 
then you've misunderstood the test and need to retake it. Let me be very clear. Even if you have revelation from heaven, if you communicate that revelation in an unchristlike manner, you've done a disservice to that revelation and worse, a disservice to the gospel. Now I'll have more to say about that later, but I have to manage my blood pressure while preaching this morning. <laughs> now, part of the reason it's so preferable to believe narrative than scripture is narrative comes fully assembled, while scripture requires patience, prayer, and very often hard work. If you want revelation from heaven, it's going to require prayer and fasting. See, in Proverbs 18, it says, rumors are dainty morsels that sink deep into one's heart. Mm -mm -mm. Who doesn't love a dainty little morsel? I mean, I mean, it's just a little bit. How bad could it be? Oh, it's delicious. What is a dainty little morsel in the context of this? How many times have you scrolled through Instagram? You're like, OMG, I can't believe they posted that. Screenshot, send it to all your other friends who think like you and say, can you believe what they posted? Oh my God, they're nuts. That's a dainty little morsel. And you're all eating. And you're like, mm, it feels so good. It feels so good to be self-righteous. And the only people who are in and know what's going on and look at all these sheep and it's unbelievable. I can't even believe these people would think like that. <gasps> You know, when you do that, you're not exercising wisdom. You're doing the enemy's work. He's the accuser of the brethren and you're partnering with him. You know, you are getting excited at the perceived folly of another person's narrative. You just ate a dainty morsel. It sinks into your heart and you become a person that's like, I'm so glad I'm not like them. That's so much easier. And by the way, there's tripwires all around us. But the much harder thing to do is to go low, to go slow, and to ask God, Lord, what are you doing? Only to find that sometimes he doesn't answer us at all. Or sometimes when he does, it's not in the time that we'd like him to or in the manner that we'd prefer. But here's the thing. If you find it easier to believe your story than scripture, you're very obviously in trouble. And I say that to everyone, no matter where you are on the political spectrum. For example, for those of you who are in legitimate distress that Biden will be president, my challenge to you this morning is why is it easier for you to exercise faith that the country will be ruined than simply to believe that the king or the president's heart is like a stream of water directed by God and he will guide it wherever he pleases. With a change of presidency, God doesn't lose control. If you look through scripture time and time again, you will find that God shapes history with people that you or I might not like leading nations. Or... For those of you who haven't been able to wrap your head around how God could have used President Trump for good in the last four years because you can't get past the rhetoric that you hear or the behavior that you see, why have you got more faith that your discernment is right than believe the same scripture? Especially when the whole basis of your salvation is based on things you can't see. 
There's a real danger that in these days, more believers are submitted to their storyteller than they are the Holy Scriptures. And what's worse, if we can consider something worse than that, they don't even know it. And I'm not sure if you've tried, but any attempts to point that out does not tend to go very well. And you're saying, Alan, how could that be true? Aren't we all serving the same God? I don't know if we are. Scripture has a lot to say about people whose lips are near him, but their hearts are far from him. There's a real danger that in chasing God, we've hit a detour. Jeff famously says, most people will follow God up until his will contradicts their will. And I'm noticing a lot of prayers these days seem to be, my will be done, not yours. And that's because we're praying according to our narrative, not praying according to heaven's plan. And if you think, Alan, that sounds like a narrative itself, it is. The Bible is full of people, time and time again, choosing to believe their narrative over God's wisdom. Let's look at one of them together. In Philippians, the Apostle Paul, we all like the Apostle Paul, right? No? Well, I can pick somebody else. Like, we all like the Apostle Paul, right? Guy who wrote the major portions of the New Testament. Right? Yes? Some of you are like, I'm not saying yes to you. This feels like a trick where, you know. It's not. There's nothing up my sleeves. Paul writes this as he looks back on his life. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Now, understand that that statement made something to the audience, not just a weird piece of personal information. He's volunteering at a dinner party. Right? I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am, listen, come on. It's my fault, I'm sorry. Be careful how you hear. All I'm doing is reading the Bible, okay? Can't get mad. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. Let me stop right there. Does that language sound familiar to you? Have you noticed that everyone, no matter where they are on the political spectrum, are claiming that they are the real patriot? As if that claim somehow lends credibility to their narrative. I'll put you out of your misery. You're only credible to those who already believe your narrative. To everybody else, you're shouting into an echo chamber. Right? Your claims that you are a true patriot doesn't lend credibility to your narrative. It continues. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Now, in this passage, it seems weird because it sounds like Paul's kind of beating his chest and being boastful. What he's doing is he's poking fun at himself. And we know he's poking fun at himself because the very next verse says, I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. So why is he poking fun at himself? Well, he's pointing out that those who don't rely on what Christ has done have no other choice but to faultily have confidence in their own efforts and their own thinking. Or, put another way, we are not to have confidence in our own worldly view and our own storytellers. 
Rather, we are to place our confidence in Christ and his kingdom, which, P.S., is not of this world. I want to zoom in on this statement. He says, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. See, Paul, on one side of a revelation that he didn't have then, but he does have now, is reviewing his life and he's saying, man, I was so proud of my patriotism. I was so proud of my pure-blooded citizenship to my nation that out of that mindset, I harshly persecuted the church thinking I'm obeying the law without finding fault. Think about that. Paul is saying, I was so convinced that I was obeying the law and fulfilling scripture and doing God's will. But what I was really doing was just believing a narrative that was actually different from what heaven was saying. And the whole time, I didn't even know it. Listen, Paul's belief that he was honoring God didn't make it so. Your zeal that you're honoring the Lord in what you're doing doesn't make it honoring. (laughs) You okay? Need to shift around in your seat a little bit, that's fine. So what was it that Saul was doing that was so bad? Well, it's pretty bad. Acts 8 begins with the murder of Stephen. And it says that Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Stephen was a brand new convert to this newfangled thing called Christianity that was claiming that Jesus was God. Fancy that. It then goes on to say, a great wave of persecution began that day, the day that Stephen died, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prisons. Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Now, why was Saul doing that? Was he a psychopath? No, he wasn't. He was living with a narrative that was draped over facts that were true. What were the facts? Well, the facts were God clearly said, you will have no other gods before me. And guess what the punishment for that, for idolatry was, was death. The facts are right. Exodus does actually say, the law does say, you will have no other gods before me. It does actually say, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. And to proclaim that Jesus was God is both idolatry and blasphemy to people who don't have heaven's revelation. You with me? So to the Jews, this was an anathema. This was like, are you kidding me? This is like, ah, off with our heads, punishable by death. So from Saul's perspective, he's got all the facts right. And he's got a narrative that it's up to him to uphold the law. And because all beliefs produce behaviors, he not only thinks he's on the right path, he thinks he's doing the very will of God. It wasn't until heaven invaded earth that Saul got the heavenly perspective he so desperately needed. Says this, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, the mission was to kill more Christians. A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Isn't that interesting? Saul believed he was protecting God. God believed Saul was persecuting him. Only one of them was right. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up, go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Despite being devout, 
Despite having scripture to back him up, despite being a true patriot, he was still wrong. And what's tragic was, it took heaven's perspective to change his mind. I'm sure if Paul was on Facebook posting his stats, there would be well-meaning people trying to get their point across and he didn't have ears to hear what they were saying. I fear that much of what is being communicated today by Christians regarding America and this season on both sides of the political spectrum is nothing more than narrative draped over facts, but sorely missing heaven's perspective. Oh, but Alan, how dare you? Don't you know that so-and-so has said this and that such-and-such has posted this and haven't you read the latest thing? My response to that would be, yes, but content is not the only way to weigh things. Content is subject to be careful how you hear it. There's something else that's important as well as content because Paul said, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold to what is good, reject every kind of evil. Well, how do you test the fruit? How do you know what's good? Well, first of all, does the content line up with scripture? That one's easier. A much harder test that few do is the content first of all pure and then peace living and then considerate and submissive, full of mercy and good fruit and partial and sincere. And are the lives of the people who are communicating that the same? Because by their fruit, the way they live and the way they communicate, you can tell if it's the Lord or not. Here's maybe one of the most beautiful verses that's in desperate need of of implementation in today's culture. And with this I end, 2 Timothy 2. says this, a servant of the Lord, that's you and I, must not, quarrel you know some of us would say I'm not quarreling yeah you are you're trying to start a fight but there's wiser people than you who are not going to join in just because no one's fighting with you doesn't mean you're not quarreling it's the motive of the heart a servant of the Lord must not quarrel but must be kind to everyone must be able to teach and be patient with difficult people gently instruct those who oppose the truth Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth and they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. I think the most grievous thing in a season of many grievous things is the lack of kindness that's so readily on display by Christians and social media. I am shocked when Christians think the seriousness of the situation permits them to be unkind or to say incredibly dishonoring things under the guise of truth-telling. When we do that, we forget the truth of Philippians 4 verse 5 where Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. You know, you finish something like this and you can think, so what? That's a lot of ground. You should see what's on the cutting floor of my office. I'm realizing we've got, we've got a, just this huge meal to eat and you know, we'll be sick if we try and tackle it all at once. And so piece by piece is what we're looking at. But what I wanna do is I wanna try and bring all of this into focus and make it practical. I wanna leave you with five things that you and I can walk out of this room with and put into practice. Number one, we've gotta be people who are careful in how we listen. Are we listening to learn or are we listening to argue? 
Have we conflated our narrative with the facts and in doing so confused one with the other? We must be people who are committed to seeking heaven's perspective over our own opinions. And here's what's important. When we don't know what heaven is saying, refuse to make stuff up to just fill the void to make us feel better. Throughout history, God did stuff that we didn't think was right. And he still does so. And he's not obligated to give us an explanation because guess what? He's God. (laughs) Even when we're confident that we think what we have is heaven's perspective, it still needs to be weighed. So much heartache and worry could have been avoided in the last 12 months if we as a people, as a church body, had done that one simple step. And then number four, we've got to be people that produce fruit in keeping with repentance. It's not enough to say that we were, we did get saved. We have to demonstrate that we are saved by producing fruit in keeping with that repentance. For the love of all that is holy and pure, I am imploring you, do not sow fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Those are not the hallmark characteristics of the kingdom to which you belong. If you don't know what heaven is saying, speak what is already revealed in scripture. For I know the plans, plans to bless you, to give you hope and a future, that all things work together for the good of those who love him. Like, like those are not just generic, like lazy words. They're still the truth. Build the kingdom in your words. Don't tear it down in your words. And then lastly, and possibly the hardest one, be people who are content to live with mystery. The Lord is not honor bound to perform our wishes, only his will. There is so much shaking going on today, deliberately, by God, And the tragedy is that so many of us are busy blaming the shaking on Republicans or Democrats or others instead of allowing the shaking to do its job, which is to cause us to fall on our face and say, search me, O God, know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. Because the danger of this time is we've elevated wickedness to insight and discernment. Like when your whole goal is to be right, you've already lost In the days ahead, Lord willing (laughs) and energy sustaining, it would be my heart to unpack more of this, to help us unpack the season ahead with a heavenly perspective instead of our earthly opinion. Amen? Amen. Christine, can we give us some words of knowledge?